0: This week on The Startup Life.
1: Accredited investors is a person who has either 200,000 of income or a million of net worth.
0: I saw The Nation so let's take flight with Mark Roderick, Crowdfunding and fintech attorney. The Startup Life begins now. 7654321. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Hey, Startup Nation, do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the Labor Yourself, Make Your Own Luck, and Making Money t shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We got a big time guest in the building today. We got Mark Roderick of CrowdfundingAttorney.com. How's it going, Mark? Very well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Awesome stuff, awesome stuff. Are you ready for some knowledge in the Startup Nation today?
1: I'm going to do my best. Oh, you're going to do that's all I can do. Just going to do do, my best.
0: You're going to do just fine, Mark. All right, so let's get started. So, I'll tell you this much. So, let's start here, man. What's your story on your path to entrepreneurship? Tell us all about it.
1: Well, let's see. I had never met an entrepreneur before I uh, started practicing law. I I come from a a different background, I was grew up in the military and and so i didn't know i i I was not around probably many of your guests are from entrepreneur entrepreneur like families but i was not i didn't i didn't know anything about business and so i went to law school and sure enough as soon as i got out of law school i started to represent entrepreneurs (laughs) um i immediately I was a young tax lawyer back in the day when tax shelters were the thing. Okay. And um, I, you know, I started meeting a lot of entrepreneurs, and basically, over the last few decades, I mean, I, I have—that's whom I represent. That's my clientele. I, I represent entrepreneurs of every um, of every type and all kinds of uh, industries. And as as you know. You know, an entrepreneur in in a high tech social media startup, and an entrepreneur like in a concrete business are basically the same. You know, it's the same types.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So, uh, I, I have become, you know, a part, now part of the of the entrepreneurial world. So that's that's how I got into it. I got into it by profession as opposed to by upbringing
0: got you got you thank you for sharing that and and mark you went to law school at the university of virginia correct i sure did okay so i guess congrats in order for that national championship they just won huh
1: yes yes that was fabulous now i i was there you're probably not old enough to remember this name but i was there during the years of ralph sampson
0: gotcha long long
1: ago i was there Um, and those ended up being you know disappointing years because he was so dominant, and we should have won the championship then, but we didn't. We, we came close. We got to the Final Four. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I was shocked this year. I, I didn't think they had a national championship team, but they did.
0: There you go. Here you are. Here you are. I actually heard of the name Ralph Sam. I've I didn't see him play, but I've heard of Ralph so I'm familiar with, with who he is and stuff like that. But moving right along, Mark, thank you for indulging me there a little bit. So you know, one of the many questions we get here on Startup Nation is, "What the heck is crowdfunding, and how does it work?" So, Mark, what the heck is crowdfunding, and how does it how work?
1: Does it work. <laughs> well, let's see. You want me to talk about that for two hours or four? I have two different you know sets of <laughs> answers. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to give you the slim down version for sure. So, the best way to think about crowdfunding. It's actually pretty simple, and it works for for most people, is this. Although there are tons of legal rules, and I always say, thank goodness there are legal rules, because otherwise no one would have a reason to hire me, but although there are tons of legal rules, crowdfunding is extremely simple. It's just the internet. That's all crowdfunding is. It. Gotcha. Using the internet to raise capital. So, we use the internet for everything in our lives since the mid 1990s. You know, we started. um, Wow, internet is a great place to buy books, and then, internet is a great place to make travel arrangements rather than a brick and mortar, um, brick and mortar, travel agency. Well, turns out. You know, it's a good place to meet your next uh, significant other. For sure. Also. And well, it turns out that, you know, rather than taxi cabs, the internet is a great way to get transportation. And it's a great way to find a hotel when you use the transportation to get where you're going. And it's a great way to do all kinds of other things. And why is it great? The internet works just because it eliminates middlemen and directly connects buyers and sellers so for example if you're looking for a hotel suddenly in one place like you can see every hotel in the city that you're visiting with all their prices right there on the screen and so you get this great efficiency if you're looking for a girlfriend you can see every eligible woman in your area, or at least, you know, thousands of, of them. Right. Um, so it, it connects people directly. Now, in the, in the capital formation industry, in other words, the way investors raise money, we have been living in a world where you could not connect with investors, where if you were trying to raise money uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, for example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where would you start? You you know you'd start by thinking, well, who do I know that has money? And maybe you're lucky enough to know people with money, but chances are you're not. Most people aren't, and so you start thinking, well, I wonder if that lawyer knows some people with money. So you start reaching out to people, and then you find out, you know, there are some groups in Nashville that sometimes fund entrepreneurs. So you get their telephone number, you go have a meeting with them and they're not interested, but they know a couple other people you might talk to. So on and on and on this endless time consuming uh, task of you trying to connect with investors. And at the same time, investors trying to connect with you, they don't know you exist. Like these investor groups, they, spend all their time looking for promising entrepreneurs but you know where do they find them it's just right. happen chance so that's exactly the situation where the internet is most effective now using crowdfunding which is just the internet you as the entrepreneur in Nashville Tennessee can have a website that directly connects you no middlemen to every investor in the world, not only every investor in Nashville, but every potential investor in the whole world, like billions of people. And similarly, every investor gets to go on the internet to certain sites and see this enormous range of entrepreneurs that they can invest in. So that's all crowdfunding is. It it allows investors and entrepreneurs to connect using the internet. And that that has never been legal in this country before. Um, And that's why it's such a big deal. It sort of was bound to happen with the internet affecting so many other aspects of our lives that it would also affect our ability to raise capital. But that's it. Just crowdfunding is the internet coming to the capital formation industry.
0: Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. Quick follow up question, Mark. So let's say I'm I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, you know, and I'm thinking about trying to, you know, get some startup funding for my idea or my company or wherever the case may be. And I get a group of crowd funders to kind of pump money into my idea. Is there like an equity position there for those crowd funders? How does that part work?
1: Okay. So let me take a step back. Sure. So We use crowdfunding to mean two different things. Okay. Um, There's two different kinds of, uh, yeah, two kinds of crowdfunding. One is the Kickstarter type. Okay. uh, Kickstarter Indiegogo. We call that donation-based crowdfunding because, as you probably know, you can launch a campaign on Kickstarter, and what you are basically doing is Saying please, please, all you nice people out there, please give me some money. I'm, I got a great story, you know. Uh, I'm trying to start a business for myself, and please give me some money. And if you do, I'll give you a baseball cap, or I'll give you free movie tickets, or or something. Right. But you're asking for donations, so that's the kind of crowdfunding that came first, and. There are basically no laws around donation-based crowdfunding. Just as right now, you can put a sign on your car and drive down the street and say, please give me money for my business. Just ask people to like throw you coins. And that's donation-based crowdfunding. Um, So that's one kind. The other kind, which is where I spend all my time, because that's where the legal rules are, is where people are making an investment. In your business. So Um, now you're not just saying, hey, please be nice, give me money. You're saying, hey, you give me some money and I'll give you some stock. Gotcha. Okay. So that's we call that for lack of a better term, equity crowdfunding as opposed to donation crowdfunding. So those are the you know two kinds. Now, some companies go from donation-based crowdfunding, you know, they might try to raise twenty-five thousand dollars on Kickstarter, and then do equity based crowdfunding, but those are the two types anyway.
0: Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of times when we get those questions here on the Startup Life Pilot by the binge Podcast Network, those are some of the, the probably the biggest question we we get because some people are kind of afraid to kind of give a piece of their company away, or at the very least, feel like somebody else is kind of a part of, it some kind of uh, silent investor, if you will. So, thank you for clearing up the difference between donation. And
1: equity-based crowdfunding. I appreciate that for sure. You're welcome. The next step, the next logical step is then sure. to, to talk about in the equity crowdfunding world. So now we've left the donation world. We're in the equity world. In that world, there are three flavors, three types of equity crowdfunding. Do you want me okay. to talk a little bit about those?
0: Sure. Go for it.
1: Okay. So again, th- th- this is where there start to be a ton of legal rules. And I'm definitely, for the sake of your audience who might be trying to stay awake here, I'm not <laughs> going to go into all those technical rules, but I'll just try to give a quick overview that'll give you a feel for the three different types. Uh, and they're referred to as Title II, Title Three, and Title IV. And that's because they were all part of the law that was signed into law by Barack Obama in 2012 uh, called the JOBS Act. And when in the U.S., laws are divided into sections and the section of a law is called a title as opposed to a chapter. It's called a title. So that's why we refer to Title II, Title Three, Title IV. That's, that's all it means. Okay. Title II is the simplest of the three flavors. Gotcha. In Title Two, you can only have as investors people who are so called accredited investors. Now, should I define what that means?
0: Um, if you if you could really quickly, yes,
1: really quickly. Yes. So, accredited investors is a person who has either two hundred thousand of income or a million of net worth. Got I mean, it. there are a lot more rules than that, but I'll stop there. So in Title II crowdfunding, you can only have accredited investors. But beyond that, there's no rules. It's wild, wild west. So you can raise as much money as you want from as many investors as you want. Your investors can invest as much money as they want, each investor. Um, It's wild, wild west, no rules. Uh, That's Title II crowdfunding. And that has been the most successful kind of crowdfunding so far. I'm going to jump over Title Three for a second. Title IV crowdfunding is very much like a full-blown public offering. So to do Title IV crowdfunding, you have to put together a big big thick document submit it to the SEC the securities and exchange commission right get it, get it approved by the SEC it's a sort of long expensive process and when you're approved then you can raise a lot of money up to 50 million dollars and you can raise it from both accredited and non-accredited investors but that's not for small companies you know that's for companies who are trying to raise a lot of money and are are able to you know, pay lawyers and accountants and marketing people to do that whole thing. So that's Title Two and Title Four. Title Three is the most. I saved it for last because it's the most unusual kind of crowdfunding. It's sort of a brand new animal in U.S. securities laws, and it has the most rules. Um, in Title Three, you can raise money from anybody. Accredited or non accredited. But you can, you're very limited in how much you can raise. You can only raise about a million dollars a year. Um, your offering has, you can't do it yourself. It has to be through a company, which is called a funding portal that is licensed by the SEC. Okay. okay. And among a bunch of other rules, each investor is quite limited into how much he or she can invest, very limited. The idea here is they don't want widows and orphans to be able to pour their whole life savings into some small company. So Title Three, very unusual, small, lots of regulations, but anybody can invest. So It is used. It's a growing market, probably not growing as fast as some of us had hoped. So those those are the three flavors of crowdfunding. As I say, Title II, which is limited to accredited investors but otherwise has no rules, is by far the most popular.
0: Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And Startup Nation, uh, Mark has been nice enough to create a crowdfunding cheat sheet on his website, crowdfundingattorney.com. And we actually have the link in the show notes for easy access for you to access that. And it kind of breaks down those flavors that Mark was just talking about a little bit. So I appreciate you sharing that with us.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's great. There is that cheat sheet. And then at that blog, there's also... Like if you wanted to read up on Title III crowdfunding, I wrote a whole little booklet about it, which is there. Or Title IV crowdfunding, I wrote, wrote a whole little booklet about Title IV crowdfunding, and there's a lot of, oh man, there's so much information there. But yes, the, the whole thing started with that little one-page crowdfunding cheat sheet you just mentioned.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And once again, Startup Nation, the blog and the cheat sheet can be found on crowdfundingattorney.com and the link is there in the show notes for easy access. Let's change gears just a little bit if I could. So, you know, you're an attorney and, and I imagine that, you know, you're a lifelong learner, right? And so I'm curious when you think about professional development for yourself, what does that mean to you? And what are you learning right now? Are you reading a certain book? Are you listening to podcasts? What What are you learning right now, Mark?
1: Well. Uh, that's that's a great question so this is how this is what crowdfunding is all about okay crowdfunding as i said is just the internet now our securities laws just as a historical note so our securities laws were written in the 1930s they were you know we had the the U.S., actually the whole world, had a Great Depression in the 1920s that was caused in large measure by the failure of our capital markets. Um, our capital markets were completely unregulated. They were filled with fraud and no one No one trusted Wall Street. I mean, if you think no one trusts Wall Street now, back then, no one really trusted Wall Street.
0: Gotcha. And
1: so we had the Great Depression. Franklin Roosevelt was elected president in 1932. And one of the first things he set about doing and accomplished was a complete revision to American securities laws, which resulted in America having the most stringent securities laws in the world, and the healthiest, most vibrant, and by far the largest securities markets in the world, so those 1930s laws just really worked a miracle for uh, our securities markets and and therefore for our whole capitalist system and The reason I mention that mm-hmm. is. You try to put together laws that were written in the 1930s with the internet.
0: Oh, I imagine that
1: that sounds (laughs) like fun. And it is a challenge. And so I spend all of I spend so much time learning, meaning trying to put together uh, the correct answers for how this internet world is supposed to interface. With 1930s laws, just before I got on this podcast, I'm I'm looking at the Investment Advisors Act. Well, the Investment Advisors Act was written in 1940. And how does the Investment Advisors Act apply to an online real estate crowdfunding portal um, and the people who are working for it? And so I spend all my time trying to figure out and learn how to interface those, those two worlds. And it is incredibly fun and incredibly challenging.
0: I can only imagine. We actually had an attorney uh, on the show a while back, Uh, uh, Mr. Chapo here, uh, Richard Chapo. And he talked about that same thing about how the law is not necessarily slow, but it's kind of slow in regards to the internet and trying to translate certain things from now until then. So, I'm somewhat familiar with what you're speaking about, Mark, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you see that really in a dramatic fashion within the last couple of years, there's been all this stuff about cryptocurrencies and blockchain and and how do you apply 1930s securities laws to Bitcoin? You know, that's um, it's it is a challenge.
0: Sounds like definite fun, for sure. So let me ask you this, because, you know, speaking of professional development, you also offer seminars and webinars on crowdfunding and other matters. Take me through your process to make sure that the content that, you know, reaches your target audience, provide them with the value that you look for. You know, and I know you have panelists on from time to time. How do you pick your panelists and things of that nature?
1: Well, what I mostly do is write this this blog. and. Okay. I will tell you, the secret for me to writing a successful blog is, here's how I pick my blog topics. Okay. I, okay. Put, I don't just make them up out of thin air. I, I talk about crowdfunding all day. I, I, have a, I have a terrific web presence. I do podcasts like this one. And as a result, I get calls and emails from around the world every day. Gotcha. And I talk to people even if they're not becoming my client. I I talk to, and you know, I'm very evangelical about it. And I I talk to people and they ask me questions. And so I write blog posts to answer questions that people have asked me, you know, not just once, but if I get a question six times, by, that's proving to me that there is a, you know, a desire to be educated on that point, and I'll write my next blog post on that point. So I'm, what I'm trying to do is answer the questions that people, real people out in the world, actually have, and and that has been very effective.
0: Awesome stuff, awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Now, you know, Mark, no, not long ago, reached out to you by Billboard magazine for a story they were doing about pledge music. Uh, basically started, Mason, Pledge Music was a crowdfunding service where fans, you know, of, of up and coming bands would crowdfund artist projects and then return they would get like T-shirts and CDs and what have you, stuff like that. Well, it seems like not only are some of those bands not getting a part of the funds that they raised, but some of those uh, fans are not getting the items that they were, you know, kind of promised. And Mark, in that article, you were quoted, since the beginning of donation based crowdfunding, it has been surprisingly free of fraud and bad actors. So when you see this and you see how uh, the Federal Trade Commission has just taken legal action against iBackpacks, it begs the question, uh, is there a need for more regulation and crowdfunding? Boy, that's
1: a great question. Part of me wants to say, you know, I, I, I sure hope not. Unfortunately, have been an increasing number of situations of bad actors Right. Um, in the crowdfunding space like for a long time there were none and and I was saying wow this is this is fantastic and and now we see more and more and um I I guess it's just human nature right people people just do um they will take advantage of I mean, people steal from their churches, right? So sure, I, sure. I, and criminals heavily
0: evolve, for sure.
1: Yes. And they tend to gravitate toward wherever the money is. And if there's money in crowdfunding, I guess, you know, they're like bears who can, or sharks who can smell blood in the water from 10 miles away. Right. Um, in the equity-based world, there are tons of rules. For sure. Um, For sure. Very little fraud, but more, more than there once was. Um, In the donation-based world, there are no rules, and now we're starting to see fraud creep in. You know, I don't know how the government would regulate (laughs) donation-based crafting. I, I don't know exactly what it would do. For sure. You know, in some ways, the regulation is already there. If you steal people's money, which has happened, you go to jail. Absolutely, you know, that—that's—that is a kind of regulation. But unfortunately, I think we are moving in that direction just because there's going to be a demand from the public, and maybe there's going to be a demand from, you know, the portals that. Mm-hmm. Because what they're afraid of is if news of the fraud becomes widely known and widely believed, then people are just going to stop giving. Absolutely. The people who are going to be hurt, or the ninety-nine point eight percent of people who are good guys who aren't going to get their projects funded. But it it's a real quandary for the industry. And I, if I had the answer, I would tell you right now. And I don't.
0: Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. It's just exactly to your point, like you were saying, it's like, you know, as, uh, as more and more people uh, get aware of some of the, of some of the bad actors, most of the people who are actually on the up and up will uh, feel that for sure. And, uh, you know, and and in our case here, the startup life and startup nation, they definitely would, you know, uh, not benefit from being able for, uh, to get projects funded, ideas funded and stuff like that. So, uh, that would not be good for sure. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. And so with that being said, you know, you know, take out your 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 crystal ball here for a little bit uh, in the next three to four years. How do you see crowdfunding evolving from where we are now in the next three, four or five years?
1: Oh, that's easy. OK, <laughs> and not because I'm so great at predicting the future of, of anything, but <laughs> Got you you tell me what has happened to every industry once the internet has taken a gotten a toehold in the industry. Like did the, did the internet get smaller? Did it turn out just to be a fad? And, of course not. You know, the, the answer is no. Right. You know, the internet came into the travel industry and before long, um, you know, I probably kids young people today probably don't even know what a travel agency is you know right Uh, i you know some going back to another example um i've read a statistic recently about how many like if you look at all of the relationships you know male female or male male or female female how many of those relationships began online right some amazingly high number, even in such an intimate uh, setting as that. I mean, it's one thing to buy books online, right? But right. you find your, your spouse online. So that's what the internet does. And, and exactly how, you know, whether there are going to be new rules about crowdfunding, I don't know. But I guarantee you that four or five years from now, probably sooner than that, the first place the entrepreneur is going to look for capital is going to be online.
0: Gotcha. You know,
1: now, now it's, it's still a little new um, and people think, Oh boy, you know, I hadn't thought of doing crowdfunding, but that's like back in 1996. Oh, maybe, you know, maybe I will try making that plane reservation online.
0: But ordering it doesn't, online.
1: It order pizza online, but it doesn't take long. So, you know, one of the, the, by far the biggest success during crowdfunding is real estate deals being Mm. crowdfunded. And, you know, the industry hasn't been alive very long five years or so. Right. And in the beginning people were doing crowdfunding, trying to raise $50,000, um, you know, then a couple hundred thousand for a real estate project. Well, in the last couple months on one well-known real estate crowdfunding site, two separate deals, one of which was mine, a a client of mine, and one of which wasn't, Mm -hmm. the real estate sponsor raised $14 million for a deal. Now, Over the next five years, do you think maybe real estate sponsors are going to be looking to the internet to raise capital? I mean, the answer is yes. They are right now, it is starting to be hey, I need capital. Let me try, let me go online. And so, it's easy to answer your question in the big sense. Crowdfunding is just going to grow and grow and grow, just as the internet grows and grows and grows in every other industry where it takes hold.
0: Got you, got you. Thank you for sharing that. So, really quickly, a uh, quick question before we go to break: What does your average day look like from sun up to sundown? Be as specific as possible.
1: Um, yeah, I spend, I spend part of each day dribs and drabs. Um, on the phone
0: with okay.
1: people calling to talk about crowdfunding, uh, new, new clients, uh, big clients, little clients, someone from Australia, someone from India uh, talking about crowdfunding. How do I get this done? How c- is this possible to do? So I spend part of my day doing that every day and basically spend the rest of every day doing deals doing gotcha. crowdfunded deals, um, helping companies, businesses, individuals raise capital online in all kinds of contexts. So that's that is my that's my day. I, I try to <laughs> get enough hours in the day to, to do to do deals, to raise money.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. I hear that. I hear that. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How you like being on the startup life so far, Mark?
1: it's terrific you are a great interviewer you are well prepared and asking terrific questions and i really appreciate it thank you so much
0: all right startup nation so i hope you're getting great value from mark's content but we got to pay a few bills once again my name is dominic lawson this is a startup life podcast and it is powered by the binge podcast network startup life reach is growing Wouldn't you like your business to grow with it reach out to us to advertise on the startup life you can reach us at 901 901- 857 4818, or you can email me at dominic at askowlsolutions.com. I mean, don't get me wrong, like this is a great music to have break on, but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music but your business being advertised on it? Need more content from the Startup Life, you say? You can now sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. There is exclusive content written by yours truly video content where i share even more of my business philosophies and whatever crazy content i can think of out of that crazy head of mine and at only five dollars a month yeah five dollars a month this is more content for you startup nation to really get ahead of your competition so instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship click the link in the show notes to sign up all right startup nation so let's continue so Mark, there at Velaster Greenberg, uh, you represent many entrepreneurs across many industries. What are some of those services that you and your firm provide specifically for entrepreneurs?
1: Well, we are a, a, in many ways, a traditional, what you'd call a full service law firm. So we do, you know, the, the entrepreneur life cycle, as you and I were both saying earlier, is pretty much the same. Whether you're in the high tech industry or low tech industry, or any industry in between. So, you're talking about starting companies, forming, you know, deciding what kind of entities to use, forming entities, doing agreements between partners, you know, preparing contracts, preparing stock option plans for startups to attract key employees. Gotcha. you know, doing licensing agreements. And then, of course, you know, doing capital formation. And, you know, we don't like it, but, you know, companies get into lawsuits and you have to gotcha. deal with that and people right. go bankrupt. And and uh, we do that whole whole range of legal services for entrepreneurs.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Now, one of the services that I did see that you offer – uh, Is specifically in the cannabis space. and i'm I'm kind of fascinated by this because recently we had Warren Bravo of Green Relief. He's up there in Canada, and he grows cannabis using the uh, aquaponics, the aquaponics system. yeah, I, i'm I'm curious if you no, know, what should entrepreneurs in states like New Jersey that have you know cannabis based businesses, what should they be mindful of, you know, even besides just the federal ban itself when they're talking about? you know, being in that space, in the cannabis space. What are
1: some of those things they should be mindful of? Oh man, there are so, there's so many things. <laughs> because it's, you
0: it's know, like the, 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 the popularity of cannabis based businesses are growing. It seems like we're moving towards the federal ban being lifted. So I guess I was just curious about all of that.
1: Oh, I don't think we're moving toward the federal ban being, okay. being lifted, which is what makes, it makes things very complicated. Gotcha. Um, it is very complicated operating in in this environment where you have this federal ban. And, you, of course, you have the uh, Trump administration sort of trying to undo everything the Obama administration did, including the flexibility around cannabis. So, gotcha. you know, you had Jeff Sessions, who, you know, still thought of cannabis as the evil weed of the 1960s. <laughs> gotcha. Um so for example in my crowdfunding practice I was representing a company a crowdfunding portal that was going to help cannabis companies raise money and the companies it was going to help were those who were in full compliance with state law right so right companies that weren't doing anything wrong but were you know technically in violation of federal law uh, but were complying with you know, that Coles memorandum that the Obama administration had adopted saying we're okay with marijuana as long as you meet these requirements. So we were going along and they spent a lot of time and money building this crowdfunding portal around cannabis. And we applied to FINRA, which you have to do to Mm -hmm. become a Title III funding portal. And everything was in order. The application was terrific. FINRA would not grant them their license and the reason they wouldn't grant it to them had nothing to do with securities laws or the things FINRA is supposed to regulate FINRA wouldn't grant them their license because they were in the cannabis business wow and we said what are you talking about you're FINRA you're not the drug enforcement agency you know what what are you doing you're you're going out there huh Outside your lane. Right. And but Fenra wouldn't budge. And and so you you get this, this is the kind of obstacle that you face in the cannabis industry. You know, you'll be going along and then suddenly something happens. Some bank won't take your deposits, or right. a money transmitter won't transmit your funds, and or a stock transfer agent won't accept custody of your shares you know we've had that right Um, so it's it's like a minefield Mm. Um, that's an excellent point trying to to do business with this federal ban in place right
0: that's an excellent point that you say is like a minefield so it it just seems like it's not just a federal ban of like shipping across state lines and stuff like that but there's also the stigma of marijuana and cannabis is still kind of there to where you say like Fenra kind of overstepped its lane and stuff like that. So that's actually fascinating to know. And Startup Nation, I want you to be mindful of that. If you live in those states where it permits you to kind of do business like that, be mindful of the things that Mark just pointed out. Thank you so much, Mark. We really appreciate that. Yeah, sure.
1: yeah it, was, it can be very frustrating. I, I will <laughs> I will tell you. I mean, there are like Canadian companies trying to be traded on an exchange in the U.S. and, and having difficulty. Right. Because people just won't hold their shares and won't, you know, like brokerages. You know, you think, oh, I'll just sell my stock to somebody. Well, to get that to happen, the brokerage has to take possession of the stock. And if you can't take get find a brokerage to take possession of the stock, you can't sell the stock. And and so it's kind of a crazy situation.
0: Right. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, Mark, you know, there at FG, I know you guys do uh, a, a lot of different fun stuff, if you will, that doesn't really necessarily have to do the law. You have it on your, on the webpage there uh, at uh, a com, the lighter side of law, where I think you guys had like the, you know, we talked a little bit earlier before we went live talking about doing like the party for the Eagles uh, and stuff like that. And then you got Halloween parties and stuff like that. And, and so, uh, it looks like I'm looking at a picture where you guys were looking at the, uh, the, uh, where you guys had the shades and you go outside, the eclipse.
1: There. Oh, yeah, 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 the yeah, eclipse.
0: Stuff like that. So I, I guess I'm just curious, why is it important for organizations and companies and stuff like that to do fun stuff like that outside of work, in your opinion?
1: Wow. Um I've learned a lot about organizations through my career and, and how difficult it is to run a successful organization. A lot goes into it and a lot, that goes beyond my skill set but you know when as a law firm we used to be a small firm like i was i i started my career at a very large firm and i didn't like it and i left and become became the sixth lawyer at this law firm and then the firm started to grow you know 10 lawyers 15 lawyers 20 lawyers and there was a stage there where you know it was a super fun place to work Um, everyone knew one another, you know, not just lawyers, but lawyers and the staff and everyone, you knew each other, you knew each other's spouses, you knew the children's name of everyone you worked with, and just a very enjoyable, healthy, vibrant place to work. And then we got bigger and bigger and bigger. And what happens is, if you're not really good at it, and lawyers are not really good at management, (laughs) you know, we're not management professionals, you, of course, gain something economically, that's why you get bigger, but you lose a lot. You, You lose that healthiness and that vibrance. And suddenly, all those personal relationships get replaced by manuals of policies and procedures. Gotcha. And um, it it's super important to maintain the vitality and kind of the humanness of a workplace environment. We we try to do it through these, you know, you have an Eagles Super Bowl party or something like that. It's not really effective to tell you the truth. Doing the one off events is not does is not a substitute you know i'm amazed there are some really great companies to work for and and i'm amazed at at how they manage to maintain that sort of sense of human scale even as they even as they get large that that's been a real lesson in my career
0: got you got you thank you for sharing that i want to switch gears really quickly just for a hot second and if this is something that you don't want to answer is totally fine by me we'll move right along But I came across a a post on LinkedIn that you didn't post it, but you responded to it. It was talking about income inequality.
1: Oh, there you go, yeah. And you said
0: that, you know, quote, income and wealth inequality are reaching a breaking point, end quote. And then there's another quote where it says, we entrepreneurs and capitalists ignore the inequality at our moral and financial peril, end quote. Mark, for those who don't see the issue of income inequality the way you see it, what part of the issue, in your opinion, are they not seeing or understanding?
1: Well, it's a complicated issue, but yes, I sir. I yes, I have experienced it at a personal level. So okay. because I'm old enough to have experienced the American economy. A long time ago and and let me just tell you when I was a kid i I went to high school in Arlington, Virginia, which is a a suburb of washington d c sure and I used to deliver papers I used to deliver the Washington Post when I was about fourteen years old and wake up at four every morning, go out you know in the snow and the rain, and deliver newspapers and the neighborhood where I delivered newspapers was what we would view today as not a particularly special neighborhood but in my area it it was you know the where the rich people lived but okay and and it included the house of a guy named George Schultz who was the secretary of the treasury at the time mm-hmm. the house of George Schultz it was a nice house it was not anything like what the houses that you see today. And that's kind of the point of the story. Gotcha. His whole neighborhood where he lived was relatively modest houses of relatively modest people. And these were the high. I mean, these were top government officials who lived in that in that neighborhood, but when I go around at the end of the month and collect, you know, that was part of my job to collect money and I'd knock on the door and George Schultz would come to the door and pay me whatever, you know, $6 and 25 cents. You contrast that to America today where we have these vast, vast discrepancies in income and, and wealth where A paper boy today, I guarantee you, could not get into the development where our Steve Mnuchin and his model wife, you know, our secretary of the treasury live Uh, in. He sure he lives in some gigantic mansion with security guards and and that whole thing. I mean, I don't need to tell you or your listeners about the right inequality. And it's crept up on us and. The thing is, it's crept up on us not just as an inevitable consequence of capitalist growth, but it's it, and I'm talking as a confirmed capitalist here, it's kept it's crept up on us because of policies that have been implemented, you know, intentionally that have moved wealth and income not down the ladder like Robin Hood, but in a reverse Robin Hood, you know, policies. Uh, that it's it's a vicious cycle because the wel- wealthy people particularly now with you know the supreme court decision citizens united are are empowered to have legislation enacted that benefits them and every time that happens the inequality ratchets up a little more and then the next round of legislation when wealthy people have even more power ratchets it up a little more and and this is dangerous for our society, which is the, the last part of that quote, if you're a capitalist, you shouldn't like this. Capitalism works best in a more equal society. It, you know, capitalism isn't feudalism when there are, you know, the, the, the Lord, the King of the manor lives in his castle and all the peasants work for him. That's not capitalism. You know, we had very, very vibrant capitalism in the 1950s and in the 1960s when the, the the inequality was so much less i mean i think the statistic is 30 years ago the average ceo made 30 times what his typical employee made and now it's 300 times wow you know we just have this growing gap and it is not a natural phenomenon and for capitalists, it's not a healthy phenomenon. And and wealthy people who you know, only can think about, well, I want bigger tax cuts for myself. I don't want to have any social security. I don't want to pay for other people. I don't want public education. They are being short-sighted. This is not, <laughs> that path does not have a good ending. So that's what I'm saying. It's to our mutual benefit that we you know, take steps to curtail this massive inequality that we're facing today. So, I'm sorry that was a long answer to it. No, no
0: worries, no worries. I I wanted to get your take on it because you know it, it's a it's a hot topic. It's you're, you know you're talk we're talking about crowdfunding and so finances and stuff like that. It's kind of in your wheelhouse, so I kind of wanted to get your take
1: on that. Yeah, well, one of the reasons I I told you I'm evangelical about crowdfunding is that mm-hmm. crowdfunding. Can be one mechanism to push back on inequality. I hear that. Both, both by making capital more accessible to more people, okay, mm-hmm. and by making terrific investment opportunities more accessible to more people. So on the on the fundings on the real estate side, for example, I mentioned these two $14 million deals. Well, in one of those 14 million dollar deals 280 investors participated and the other one 400 investors participated Got it. those are deals that even 10 years ago would have been funded through you know private equity firms very 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 wealthy people and now they are being funded by more ordinary americans so Crowdfunding itself by democratizing capital can do something to put a dent in this terrible inequality we have. It's certainly not the only the only answer, but sure. that's partly why I'm so evangelical about it.
0: For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And Mark, I know we're getting close to the top of the hour. I got three more questions left and the last two are softball questions. So I just I'll just to-
1: try to make my answer shorter than my answer to the last
0: question. <laughs> no worries. No worries. So Mark, and you mentioned your blog, you know, your blog on crowdfundingattorney.com. Once again, Startup Nation, that link is in the show notes for easy access. You wrote a piece called Blockchain is Not a Technology, It's a Philosophy. And you said that in reference to someone suggesting that blockchain could possibly replace the banking system. You said in there, uh, quote, blockchain is not going to replace the banking system, and it shouldn't. Cryptocurrencies will replace fiat currencies only in countries without a functioning currency of their own. If you see a country where Bitcoin is the currency of choice, it's like a guy on the subway with an IV in his arm. You're not sure what's wrong, but you know he's sick. So really quickly, I want to know... (laughs) I thought it was hilarious as well. By the way, well, thank you. Uh, no worries. So, you know, are, are you saying that blockchain has no place in the banking system or other applications, or are you saying that it could be used to support industries like banking, healthcare, and so forth? What are you saying about blockchain?
1: Blockchain, yeah, yeah. Great question, and and so the. Title of that article was Blockchain is a Technology, not a Philosophy. Yes, my philosophy. To, to answer your question directly, yes, blockchain is a hugely important technology that is going to be used pervasively, I believe. I guess there are a few technological questions with it, but assuming those get resolved, I think it will be used pervasively. It'll be used by banks, it'll insurance companies, credit card companies. Blockchain technology will be used and and no one will know, you know, just as, you know, I think of blockchain and and I, you know, I if I were speaking at a blockchain conference, I'd get hissed and booed when I said this. But think of blockchain as a super duper spreadsheet on steroids. It's mm. it's a terrific way of keeping track of things just okay. as, as spreadsheets were. And, you know, spreadsheets are pervasively used. I'm sure you use them. Absolutely. And they didn't used to exist. <laughs> right. They didn't used to exist. But now, of course, they exist. They are used pervasively. And no one gives it a second thought. It's just a great technology that gets used. That art- I wrote that article because I experienced, as all of us have, people who had convinced themselves that blockchain and cryptocurrency were going to change the world. I mean, I've had people, very smart tell people tell me, Blockchain was going to change human nature, and and I had I speak at conferences. I've spoken at a blockchain conference where there was this guy and from the venture capital world, and he and he said, "Oh, they're going to replace banks. They're going to replace the U.S. dollar." And this was just nonsense, gotcha. in, 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 you know. And I I'm just trying to draw the distinction between a super important technology and something that's going to make a difference to human lives as i i think i also said in that article or have said in others Absolutely. every time there's a big new technology whether it's nuclear power or radio or television or automobiles or airplanes there are those who convince themselves that finally at last the human human race is going to be improved for the better and we're all going to be happy and live ever after and it always turns out of course, that that's not the case. You know, We thought that the internet was going to promote democracy worldwide and be a force for good, and now we find out, lo and behold, you know, Russia uses it to influence our election. So gotcha. my, my point is that we can't rely on technology to improve the human condition. We can only rely on humans to improve the human condition.
0: I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. So, Mark, you've had this amazing career uh, up until this point, and it, and it reminds me that I believe everybody has a superpower that kind of, you know, uh, powers their career, their path to entrepreneurship, or
1: what have you. Mark, what's your superpower? Oh boy, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I have a superpower. Um, I, 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 I will just say that in the crowdfunding world, as soon as I Heard about crowdfunding it didn 't yet exist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I realized that what I told you and your listeners a while ago that it 's just the internet that that's, forget all these rules. this is just the internet and I said to myself, The capital formation industry is a multi trillion dollar a year industry, and wow, the internet is now going to come to that industry, and this is going to be super cool and exciting. So I had that insight and have been able to communicate that insight. And that has worked out really well.
0: I hear that. I hear that. So what I hear you saying is that your superpower is foresight. That's, that's well, what I in that
1: case, I, I mean I don't I, I don't know what the stock market's gonna do tomorrow. Fair enough. Uh,
0: fair enough. Fair enough. It's all good. It is all good. So, Mark, before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life. You provided Startup Nation with amazing value in relation to crowdfunding, blockchain and everything else in between. So right now at this point, I want to give the microphone over to you because you work with a lot of entrepreneurs uh, there in New Jersey and around the world, actually. So, you know, there's an entrepreneur out there who's afraid to start their company or they're afraid to move forward in their company, feel stuck. Give them some words of motivation
1: today, Mark, to tell them to keep moving forward. Oh, boy. Well, all of us feel stuck, right? I'm sure you and you were, when you were trying to decide whether to do this podcast, I don't mean today's version, but sure. in, in, you know, you get stuck and you get, you get afraid. And I, I will tell you that the advice that has worked for me is take it one step at a time and work on what you're not so good at. All of us have skills, you might call them superpowers, but all of us have weaknesses. And I have personally found it effective to work on the weaknesses, but just one bite at a time. Cuz if you if you try to think about running across the country, it's overwhelming and you never take the first step. Mm. But if you just think about, you know, maybe going a mile, let's let's try a mile today well what do you know you wake up the next day and you're a mile beyond where you were when you woke up the day before so work on your weaknesses one step at a time i for me has been good advice
0: awesome stuff awesome stuff and that's going to wrap up this session of the of life mark thank you so
1: much for coming on the show did you enjoy it Oh, man, you are a terrific host. <laughs> I try I, my best. I'm amazed how prepared you were for this for this uh, podcast.
0: No worries. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take.
1: Crowdfunding is definitely still
0: a somewhat new source of getting that startup capital. It's not like the traditional space of getting money from friends and family or uh, going and taking out that bank loan but it is an excellent way to get that startup capital to where you can crowdsource the funding of of your business. Because what you're doing is you're not only getting money for your business, but you're actually getting people in the marketplace excited about your product, service, or idea, or whatever the case may be. And so crowdfunding is a great way to do that. And Mark brings excellent value in that space. Also, if you're that person that's thinking about entrepreneurship and you're not really uh, sure what space to go into, FinTech is a growing space. When we talk about the financial industry and how it's ever evolving with not only stuff like Bitcoin and the emergence of blockchain and uh, the cash app and Square and everything else and everybody having ways to transfer money, fintech is definitely a place you definitely want to think about. Whether it be you want to create a new app or service or whatever the case may be. I think Startup Nation, for those of you who are thinking about jumping to the entrepreneurial space fintech is something you definitely want to think about and mark is definitely a person you want to contact if you're thinking about jumping into that space if you want to let us know what you think about the show have an idea for a show topic or like to advertise on our show please send us a message on the startup life podcast facebook page and while you are there like and follow our page as well it's a way for us to engage with you startup nation and really grow our community the link is here in the show notes Subscribe to the show as can now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a 5-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Bench Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that like the startup life. What up, Startup Nation? You're here for that extra content, aren't you? Alright, I guess I'll throw you a bone this time. Take a listen.
1: What that means is I evaluate their business from the bottom up. I look at their merchandising, their styling, their pricing, their value proposition, mm. their margins, shipping, marketing materials. And we come up with a strategy to either come up with that because they may not have that yet or develop that to be more successful.
0: That startup nation is Maria Pessin founder of vibe consulting so subscribe to the startup life podcast on your favorite podcast platform so that way when maria's content is available it'll be right there waiting for you but until then startup nation get out of here you got a company to grow